Bonjour, agus Chiadiv. Welcome to The Irish in Canada, the podcast exploring the histories and legacies of Irish immigrants and their Canadian descendants. I'm your host, Jane McGaughy. This is episode number nine, The Ghost of Griffintown. Last time on The Irish in Canada, I spoke about the Gender Migration and Madness project that I've been working on during the pandemic, and how female trouble was a common euphemism in Irish women's medical diagnoses in Canadian colonial lunatic asylums. On this episode, we're going to look at a different kind of female trouble, one that has become the centerpiece of haunted history in Montreal. Even the police were shocked by what they found on the upper floor of a tenement building at 242 William Street in Griffintown at the end of June 1879. The Montreal Witness newspaper called it one of the most repulsive murders ever chronicled. Mary Gallagher, an Irishwoman, had been killed. Her best friend, Susan Kennedy, also Irish, was found drunk, or pretending to be, lying on a bed in the front room, covered in blood. The story soon spread that these two prostitutes had fought over a client, Michael Flanagan. What began as a morning of intense drinking for the three of them ended that afternoon with Gallagher's bloody body lying on the floor, her decapitated head and hand thrown in a bucket. The coroner's report said that the motivation for the murder had been a mix of alcohol and jealousy. The wounds on Mary Gallagher's neck showed that it had taken at least 20 blows to behead her with an axe. And ever since that summer's day in 1879, Mary Gallagher has returned to Griffintown every seven years in search of her head. This story, and variations of it, has been part of Griffintown folklore for nearly 150 years. Griffintown had been an Irish part of Montreal since its founding in the first decade of the 1800s. Its name came from another Mary, Mary Griffin, the wife of a soap factory owner who negotiated the land's lease and envisioned its future as an Irish working-class neighborhood. As we saw with the Shiners, the cholera refugees, and especially the story of Grace Marks, derogatory stereotypes about Irishness, alcoholism, hypersexuality, and violence are why we remember Mary Gallagher's story today. In her history, Beyond Brutal Passions, Prostitution in Early 19th Century Montreal, Mary Ann Putanen found that Irish women formed a majority of the prostitutes in Montreal in the first half of the 19th century. The upper classes feared the power of female sexuality, that women who were wild with their bodies could threaten men and set a horrible example to the wives of Montreal. At the same time, as in many other cities that had a military garrison and a growing population, Montreal's sex industry was seen as a necessary evil so that the good women of the city could be protected from men's vigorous sexuality. As Putanen shows, however, there was a difference between working in a brothel or a residential setting and walking the streets to sell sex. Before the Great Irish Famine, the majority of street-walking prostitutes in Montreal were Irish immigrants between the ages of 16 and 25. 
By the time of Mary Gallagher's death in 1879, Montreal had become a fully industrialized city with one of the most notorious waterfronts in North America. Prostitution was an everyday reality. But that didn't mean that it was a full-time occupation or that all poor, drunk women in Griffintown were prostitutes. Mary Gallagher and Susan Kennedy have been described as prostitutes by historians and tellers of the tale. But if you look at the court documents and the newspaper reports, that word simply isn't there, or anything like it. That's not to say that Gallagher and Kennedy wouldn't have sex for money if necessary, but it's been very easy to assume that they were sex workers because they were poor alcoholics living in Griffintown. Court documents show that Mary Gallagher was married. She was the wife of James Connolly, but they had been separated for two years at the time of her death. Susan Kennedy was the wife of Jacob Myers, an Irish Protestant who worked in one of the local foundries. She certainly was known to the policemen who patrolled Griffintown, but that doesn't mean she was selling sex. The Montreal Witness report of the murder said that Susan was well-known to police and was feared by them for her violent temper and public drunkenness. Several policemen stated that she had always been a most difficult character to arrest, but that was in relation to when she had attacked another woman with a bottle and sentenced to three months' imprisonment. Listen to the way that the newspaper describes Susan Kennedy using her married surname. From neighbors it was learned that the woman Myers was a disturber of the peace. She is a tall, powerful woman, and when under the influence of liquor, talks in a silly manner, and some believe her to be insane. The woman in custody is about 24 years of age, is tall and powerfully built, and her countenance, although now defaced with drink, has from appearances not been altogether devoid of beauty. The descriptions of Mary Gallagher's body are also noteworthy. Quote, the headless trunk lay prostrate on the breast. A thin cotton dress with apparently little underclothing were on her. In a large bucket or wash tub nearby were the ghastly head and the severed right hand. The gray hair could hardly be distinguished owing to the clots of blood on it. End quote. The article then strongly sneers at the fact that the rooms were nearly devoid of furniture and had nothing of value in them, and that, quote, the smell of the place was sickening, end quote. Histories of the senses are always interesting. What did people see, touch, smell, hear, or taste? And how do the senses shape how history is told? The descriptions in the newspaper coverage of Mary Gallagher's murder are full of details that appeal to a sensory reading of the case, the way that Susan is portrayed as tall and unnaturally strong, that drink had ruined her looks, the way the room smelled of blood, the fact that Mary's grey hair was visible among the blood clots, and that her underclothes were scant. Descriptions in historical documents affect how we then read what happened to people. Why comment on a murdered woman's underwear and poverty if not to reinforce the assumption that she must have been a sex worker and, by extension, blame her for what happened? Why focus on how pretty Susan might have been if it hadn't been for her alcoholism unless the paper thought a woman's greatest value 
was her beauty. On the 16th of October, 1879, Susan Kennedy was found guilty of the murder and condemned to be hanged on December 5th. Michael Flanagan, the man that Susan and Mary had allegedly fought over, had been a suspect in the case, but now walked free. Like Grace Marks, Susan Kennedy's sentence was commuted from death to life in prison. Like Grace, witnesses who had seen her behind bars questioned her sanity. She was moved to Kingston Penitentiary on November 24, 1879. Like so many imprisoned in Kingston, she died of tuberculosis 11 years later. Her prison file listed her as insane. So, once again, we can see that many Irish women in Canadian history tend to be remembered because of their associations with sex, scandal, murder, and insanity. Susan Kennedy was locked away in Kingston Pen only a few years after Grace Marks had walked out as a free woman. Neither woman would be remembered now, but for the crimes they allegedly committed. As for Mary Gallagher's ghost, she's expected to return to Griffintown in 2026, although she'll find quite a few changes. The house where she was killed was torn down long ago, and the Irishness of the neighborhood is now, sadly, more of a memory than a lived reality. Griffintown has been gentrified. But if you want to hear something truly eerie, then I'll leave you with this to mull over. Michael Flanagan, the man who likely knew who really killed Mary Gallagher, fell through the ice on the Lachine Canal to his death on the 5th of December, 1879, the same day that Susan Kennedy was supposed to have been hanged. Spooky, eh? I hope you've enjoyed learning a little bit about the Irish in Canada over the last nine episodes. That's a wrap on season one. We'll be back with season two in 2023. Thanks for listening to The Irish in Canada. The show was researched, written, and narrated by me, Jane McGaughy. This season was edited and mixed by Patrick McMaster and produced by Marion Mulvena. Our theme music was composed and performed by Kate Bevan Baker, and our logo was designed by Claire McCauley. Many thanks to the School of Irish Studies at Concordia University in Montreal, the Canadian Irish Studies Foundation, Le Gouvernement de Québec, and the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada for their support. If you like the show, Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. You can spread the word about the Irish in Canada by following us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Irish Canada Pod. Our website is the Irish in Canada Podcast.ca. That's where you can find show notes for our episodes, including lists of sources and recommendations for further reading. Until next time, Gora Maogif.